Well, good morning again. If you're looking for uh, Pastor Bruno, you need to go to Pennsylvania because he's enjoying some well-deserved time off with his family. Uh, He'll be back next Sunday. He'll be back in the pulpit, back in the saddle again. You know, um, I really appreciate the privilege uh, of preaching. Um, I preach a few times a year. It seems like the last five or six years, I've preached the last Sunday of the year. And And I'm good with that, except it's a difficult Sunday to preach, because it's always in between series. Uh, Pastor will start a new series uh, next week. So I'm always looking for something that will hopefully challenge you. So I'm going to share a topic that is really important to me. Um, Attitude. And specifically, the Christian attitude. Now, this morning, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, just two verses, 13 and 14. Uh, we'll have it on the uh, screens for you, as you uh, in a moment. And um, I think these are attitude verses. But before we get into it, um, let me pray. Father, we uh, just worship you with song, and now we worship you with your word the truth. Father, I pray that your word would just resonate in our hearts and minds. I pray, Lord, that as I share a few words, that I would handle your word correctly. But Father, I pray ultimately that throughout this service, you will be glorified, that your name will be lifted up, and that we would leave here maybe a little different. So, Father, again, we commit this service to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share a short story with you by G.W. Target titled The Window, which tells of two men who were roommates in a hospital room. One man was allowed to sit up for an hour every afternoon to drain fluid from his lungs, while the other man had to lay flat on his back. Now, the men would talk for hours. They'd discuss their families, their jobs, their military service, and just about everything else. Now, the man who could sit up looked forward immensely to the hour every afternoon when he could prop himself up and look out the window by his bed. And each afternoon, he would describe what he saw to the other gentlemen. He talked about how the window overlooked a beautiful park with a lovely lake. He talked about the swans swimming on the lake and the young children playing on the water's edge. He described the beautiful trees and flowers that adorned the lake. The man on the other side of the room would close his eyes and imagine the picturesque scene. After several days of having the beautiful scenes described to him, he began to wonder, why should he have all the pleasure of seeing everything while I never get to see anything? It just isn't fair. Late one night, the gentleman by the window began to choke and cough because of the fluid on his lungs. While the second man watched his roommate struggle and grope for the call button, he never used his own button to call for help. In less than five minutes, the man was dead. The next morning, the nurses came in and found the lifeless body of the man by the window. Soon the body was moved, and as soon as it was appropriate, the other man asked to be moved to the bed by the window. The nurse was happy to comply with his wishes. The man was moved and made comfortable. Slowly and painfully, 
the man propped himself up on one elbow to take his first look. Finally, he would have the joy of seeing it all himself. He strained to look out the, he, he strained to look out the window beside the bed. And as he did so, he saw nothing but a blank wall. In my opinion, in my humble opinion, attitude's everything. Attitude's everything. One man looked at the blank wall and saw the beautiful countryside. The other man looked at the countryside and was inspired by anger, jealousy, and some may even say murder. Both men had the same plight. They shared the same hospital room and treated by the same doctors. But it was the attitude of each man that made a difference. See, our attitude affects everything in life, everything, great and or small. It affects the way we do our jobs. It affects how we treat our loved ones. It affects how we treat our friends. And yes, it even affects our relationship with God. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a spiritual role model? If so, great. Do you want to be a spiritual role model? And if you're not, why not? See, the truth of the matter is that you can be one. Because remember, the great giants of the day, the great spiritual giants of the day who we so look up to, they don't have any special grace that we don't have. Even the apostles had the same Holy Spirit that we have. In other words, we all have the same potential to be close to God or as close to God as they were. What's the difference? Oftentimes, it's attitude. It's attitude. Do you have the attitude or the right attitude to grow closer to God? I sometimes think that our attitudes can hinder our walk with God. As I said a moment ago, we're going to look at Two passages of scripture this morning. Uh, Philippians 3, just verses 13 and 14. And I believe these verses are attitude verses. But let me read this together. Or let me read this to you. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it on my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God and Christ Jesus. I think we can all agree that living the Christian life is hard. Especially in today's environment and ever-changing culture. I mean, there was a time as Christians where we were the majority. But now it appears we are an increasing minority. We're continually challenged to compromise our faith for the sake of cooperation. The statistics are in. Church attendance is declining. Professions of faith are declining, which means baptisms are declining. And many people, including Christians today, have no desire for the church. Why? I think people are discouraged. I think people are discouraged. It's easy to become discouraged while dealing with life's circumstances, especially this year. But you know what? This morning, our text was written by 
the Apostle Paul. While he was bound captive in Rome. Paul had been faithful to the Lord, continuing to preach, even at the risk of his own safety. And this was his earthly reward, prison. That was Paul's reward on earth, prison. He had been relegated to a life of confinement and isolation. Look, it would have been easy for Paul to become discouraged and abandon the faith. All right, who could blame Paul if he did that? I mean, Paul could have easily assumed his life's work was over. But yet, he remained committed and resilient. He refused to allow difficult circumstances to dictate his life and his ministry. I love Paul's attitude. I love his attitude because he knew there was work yet to be done for the Lord. And all that Paul did, all that Paul accomplished, he knew there was work yet to be done. Now, anytime we consider any passage of Scripture, we must consider the context in which it was written and spoken. At that time, churches had been planted. By many accounts, they were thriving. Countless souls had been won to the Lord and discipled in the faith. Young men had answered the call to ministry. And many of these men were mentored and discipled by Paul. Now, how cool is that? But now Paul is bound in prison, unable to interact with them. Many at that time would consider Paul's ministry a success, but there were others who would have questioned its validity since he was no longer free to minister at that time. But either way, it would have been, it would have been easy for Paul to back the way from ministry. Easy, all right? Um, Paul could have assumed, I did it. I've done everything, Lord, you wanted me to do. But this is Paul. And I love this because it goes to the attitude I want to talk about this morning. Paul had the right attitude because Paul declared that he had not yet arrived. He had not yet arrived. He was still in the race. He had not yet obtained the prize. There was work to be done, to be done and he was committed to continue in that work. All that Paul had accomplished, he was still committed to do more. As we look over our past, I think it's safe to say that God has done some marvelous works in and through all of you. And I think God has done some marvelous work in the church, the universal church, and yes, Grace Church. I believe God's still guiding his church. I believe God's still guiding Grace Church here in Waldorf. But we need to understand something. As a child of God and as the church, we have not yet arrived. God isn't through with us, nor his church. Why? Because there still is an abundance of work yet to be done. We cannot give up. And you know what? May we never be satisfied with things as they are. Because they can always improve. We can always improve. As believers, we must take this attitude that God is not done with us, nor is God done with his church. But taking this type of attitude is not easy. It's not. So how do we we attain this attitude? How How do we get this attitude? How do we become more like the Apostle Paul? Well, I'm going to make five quick points this morning And I hope that'll give us a better understanding of how we can get and attain this right attitude. Number one, 
Sometimes we need to release the past. Verse 13, Paul says, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting what lies behind. Look at the life of Paul. He had seen great triumphs as well as many defeats. His life was far from simple and easy, but he always faced opposition while preaching the gospel. You know what? It would have been easy for Paul to become satisfied with the victories, count the losses, and just simply quit. I mean, who could blame Paul? It was, you know, Paul could have said, you know what? Lord, I've done it all for you. I've done everything you've asked me to do. It's time for someone else to do it. Or Paul could have said, you know what? I've suffered enough. I have suffered enough, Lord. Let someone else do it. Have you ever really looked at the suffering of Paul? Look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 27. Three times, I'm sorry, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Excuse me. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and in cold and exposure. Then he goes on to say, and apart from the other things, there is a daily pressure on me for my anxiety for all the churches. Think about that. If anyone had the right to say, other than Jesus, that I've suffered enough, it was the Apostle Paul. It was the Apostle Paul. But Paul refused to focus on the past. The word forgetting has the idea of ceasing to be affected by, and Paul refused to let his future goals be dictated by past circumstances. Now, let me just say this very, very clearly, I hope. The past is really important, and we must learn from the past, but we cannot live in the past. We cannot live in the past. We must learn to release the past, to let it go. We will never achieve what the Lord desires by living in the past. Number two. We must overcome the desire to rest in past accomplishments. Despite the many sufferings, as I said earlier, Paul had witnessed great triumphs in his ministry. But he knew those were not sufficient for the current day. You know, as a church, at Grace Church, we've experienced many, many blessings, many victories. This church has been here for 40 years. I've been here for 26 years. And some of you have been here from almost the beginning. And you've seen some great victories here at this church. Great triumphs. I mean, my word, do you realize through this ministry, thousands, thousands of people have come to the Lord. There's been well over a thousand baptisms. We've seen membership grow. We started a school. We started churches. We built churches. There's a movement in, of churches in Canada 
through this ministry. And these are all great, and we must rejoice in those accomplishments and continue to enjoy the fruit from their labor. But those accomplishments are not sufficient for the current day. We can't rest in those accomplishments because there's work for us to continue. Yeah, we can look back and get excited and be thankful. But there's more work to be done. We cannot rest in past accomplishments. Number three, and this is a hard one. This is really hard. We must overcome the desire to dwell on past hurts. It would have been easy for Paul to become bitter and angry over previous encounters. I mean, think about it. He'd been threatened, abused, stoned, in prison, and falsely accused for his faith. But he refused to allow past hurts to dictate his life. Look, we've all been hurt before. Every single one of us has been hurt many times. And I think if we're honest with each other, we've hurt people as well. What is that old saying? Hurt people? Hurt people? And I know that some of you have some really deep hurts. And I don't want to minimize your hurts, please. I really do not want to minimize your hurts. But I know this. If we allow the past to hinder us, the enemy is one. The enemy is one. We must be willing to let go of the pain of the past and continue for the Lord. We cannot allow past hurts and disappointments to sideline us today. I know this is hard. And some of you may have to face some of your inner demons. Maybe you need to do some work between you and the Lord or someone else. Or maybe some of us, we need counseling. Whatever it is, we cannot dwell on past hurts because we will not be effective for the Lord. Number four, we must overcome the desire to focus on past failures. I said this two or three times already. Paul had witnessed, had some great victories in his day. But you know what? He also experienced failure as well. He easily could have given up because his efforts hadn't worked out as he had planned. But once again, he refused to allow past failures to prevent him from future endeavors. We've all been knocked down before, right? We've all been knocked down before. We've all failed. You know, and when we fail, sometimes it's easy for us to focus on our failure. There's an old Navy saying, and I will clean it up for you. But it says, one aw heck wiped out, wipes out 99 attaboys. One aw heck wipes out 99 attaboys. Because you know what? We tend to focus on the one aw heck, on the failure. I mean, think about this. Did you ever hit the ball the first time you swung the bat? Um, the most prolific home run hitters in baseball strike out way more than they hit home runs. R.H. Macy failed seven times 
before he launched his most successful store in New York City, Macy's. The English novelist, John Creasy, received 753 rejections before his first book was published. Then he went on to publish 530 books. And back to baseball. Babe Ruth, the Bambino, hit 714 home runs, but struck out over 1,300 times. Folks, we cannot focus on past failures because you can be certain that you'll never obtain victory if you allow past failures to dictate your future endeavors. And this is my point about attitude. When you're knocked down, do you get up or do you stay down? Do you learn from your struggles and press on for the Lord or do you stay defeated? How you look at Difficult situations will often determine how you react to difficult situations. Paul writes in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, like, listen, think about these things. That's an attitude passage. Focus on good. Focus on those type of things. See, failure is sure for those who are constantly looking at where they've been instead of looking where they are headed. Please, folks, we need to let go of the past and we must look to the future. Number five, once we release the past, then we need to regain our zeal for the Lord and our zeal for the ministry. Again, look at the last part of verse 13. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Paul had overcome the past. He was focused on even greater things ahead. He was determined to reach forth to those things which were set before him. I think the idea here is of reaching out or stretching forward was... was, everything that you have, with every effort that you have. Think about a, a runner in a road race. Maybe it's a hot day, the race is, is, is long, the runner is tired. But when he sees the finish line, he gets renewed. And he starts racing to the finish line with everything that he has. I've been in many races, and I've seen people struggle all through the race. In the last 50 yards, they start to sprint. You know, they see the folk, they see the finish line, it just renews their enthusiasm, and they go towards the finish line with every single thing that they have. Life is hard. We get weary. We get tired. And we get discouraged. And sometimes we just want to quit. We do. We just want to quit. Can I encourage you to please look forward, look toward the finish line. Our troubles can't last forever. And especially as Christians, there is a brighter day. There is a brighter day. I love how Paul uses athletes and especially runners in his illustrations. Most of you know that I'm a lifelong runner. I have competed in hundreds of road races in my life to include numerous Marathons. 
If you're not familiar with a marathon, a marathon is 26.2 miles. And don't laugh about the point two. That's the hardest part of the race, trust me, okay? And every single marathon that I competed in, there comes a point in the race where I become discouraged. And I just want to quit. My legs are hurting. My feet are hurting. My arms are hurting. My head is hurting. I remember running the Philadelphia Marathon. At the 18-mile mark, it started to sleep. All I could think about was to drop out of the race and get into the, the bus that was warm with some dry clothes. Pretty much in every race, there comes a point where I would ask myself, why am I doing this? Now, my wife's been asking me that for 40 years. But during the race, I would say, why am I doing this? That's the point in the race that I needed an attitude adjustment, a mindset. I had to remind myself of why I was doing it. I had to remind myself of the training that I did. And then I'd remind myself that there is a finish line. And when I finish, I'm going to feel really good. You know, that apple at the finish line is going to taste so good. Putting warm clothes on will taste, will feel really good. It's attitude. It's all about attitude. The writer of Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Love that for us. Long time ago, maybe 11, 12 years ago, uh, we were in a council meeting leaders of the church, and I don't even remember what we were discussing, but it was a big issue. And it was just a, it's a long meeting, it's a tough meeting. And at the end of the meeting, my dear brother, Ed Gorham, stood up and said, you know, guys, let's just pray for a revival. I loved it. It changed my entire attitude about the meeting. It changed my entire attitude about this ministry. Let's pray for a revival. I've been praying for revival since then, for this church, for our community, for our nation. That was an attitude statement, and I so appreciate Ed saying that. I am praying that we, as God's people, and I say God's people, I'm talking about Grace Church and the Universal Church, listen, we'll regain the zeal we once had. Do you remember the first time, uh, when you were first saved, do you remember that feeling when you were first saved? how excited you were. I mean, when I was first saved, I just couldn't wait to share my faith. I looked for opportunities. I was excited. I couldn't wait to get to church. I mean, seriously, all week, I just couldn't wait to get to church. You're gonna laugh at this, but I remember I was upset when church was over. I was probably the only one saying, Pastor Thorley, go a little bit longer. You know what I mean? But I was so excited. I just, I mean, I just wanted a closer walk with Jesus at that time. But sadly, for some of us, trials have come and we've lost some of our enthusiasm for serving the Lord. And I personally believe that many of us are discouraged. 
I really believe that. We're discouraged about many, many things. A story is told about Satan having a yard sale way down in deep Egypt. He spread out all of his favorite tools on tables and placed prices on each. One buyer purchased a sparkling, well-kept tool labeled Anger for a reasonable price. Another bought a slightly worn Jealousy tool for a little more. All day long, people came and went, and then near the end of the day, a man saw an old tool lying on a table in the back. It was rusted and worn. The hinges squeaked. The handle was partly broken. Bless you. But the price tag was exuberant. It was exuberant. It cost far more than any of the others. Even lust had gone much cheaper. Why is this so high? The prospective buyer asked. Ah, replied Satan. That is my most effective and often used piece of equipment. And I hesitate to let it go. Christians can eventually get over almost all of my other weapons. They can recover from lust, greed, and envy. But this tool works quietly with them, not even being aware I am using it. I can slip it in and keep them defeated for a lifetime. The tool is called discouragement. I remind them of their sins and failures, of how weak they truly are, and they never even know what I am doing. Folks, We must not allow Satan to use that tool. We must have the same attitude of Paul. Paul says, I press on. Attitude is everything. I'm going to share another little story with you, and then I'm going to wrap it up. There's an old story about a happy little boy who went out into the ball field. He had on his baseball cap, was carrying a baseball and a bat. And on his face, he had this tremendous look of confidence. Cocking his bat, picked up the ball, he threw it up in the air, said, I am the greatest batter in the world. He swung and he missed. Strike one, he said. He went down, picked up the ball, looked at it again, threw it up in the air. And said, I am the greatest batter in the world. Swung a little bit harder. And he missed. Strike two. He stopped for a moment. Stared at the ball. Then picked it up. Looked at his bat to make sure there wasn't a hole in it. And said, all right. I'm going to do it this time. He adjusted his hat. Adjusted his stance. He threw the ball up. He said, I am the greatest batter in the world. With all this might, with all this concentration, he swung. And he missed. Strike three. The, ball, the boy stood there, picked up the ball, and said, wow, I'm the greatest pitcher in the world. <laughs> attitude. Attitude. It's about Attitude. Attitude is what makes a difference. What is your attitude toward your Christian life? Do you value Christ above all else? Are you moving forward in your Christian walk? Are you able to leave the past behind you? 
if we honestly assess our attitude before God and deal with any issue God reveals to us, then, folks, we need to resume the race. Amen? All right, verse 14. We're going to finish verse 14, and we're going to, we're going to be done. Verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was determined to continue the race. He was determined to finish well, refusing to focus on his surroundings. His focus was on the prize, hitting the mark, finishing where God intended May I remind all of you that there is a prize for us to obtain? I fear our churches are filled with people who have never, who have taken their eyes off of the prize. I'm sure they started well, running well, but circumstances have caused them to lose focus and to drop out of the race. Remember, God didn't call us to watch from the sidelines, we are to run the race. We're to be in the race. He isn't looking for spectators. He's looking for participators. We have many examples of men and women in the Christian world who are running strong, even in their later years. Many, many. I, I, I think of, you know, John Piper. I think of, before he passed, Billy Graham, others. And I love looking at their lives. But we don't, look, we don't need to look past these four walls to realize that there are people in this church, this church, who are in their 90s, some late 80s, who are still in the race and running really strong. I think of my dear friend, my mentor, Dr. Jerry Small and his wife. Not in their 90s yet. Close. Running the race really strong. I think of the colonel, Bud Henning, who is 90, and Marie, passionate, still running strong. Think of Jim Gardner, 95 or whatever, and Wanda, 80-something, running the race strong. Mimi Gert, in her 90s. What a prayer warrior. These people inspire me. They insp- I want to be like them attitude. They have such a great attitude. Some of you here today may need to resume the race. You know where you dropped out, and you know that, and you know that life hasn't been the same since. Maybe the joy of the Lord isn't there as it once was. Maybe you see others running, but can't seem to find the energy or enthusiasm to continue, continue yourself. Remember, the prize isn't won by the swift, but by the steady. The marathon. The marathon. You don't have to make great strides every day. You just have to get in there and be steadfast. I hope everyone wants to finish well. I do. But you know what? You'll never finish if you're not in the race. Paul finished well, didn't he? The apostle Paul finished well. He summarized his life by saying, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. That's how I want my life to be summarized. That's how I want your lives to be summarized. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Some of you, maybe you've never begun to race. Well, let's start. Let's do it. All you need to do is start running. Just come to him. If we can help you, the pastoral team, love to do it. Let's start the marathon today. Or let's continue the marathon today. I know 2020 has been a very difficult year. Um, but I'm looking forward to 2021. I believe, by the way, I believe God's done some great things in 2020. I believe God's going to do some greater things in 2021. And I'm glad that we're a church that is focused on him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Lord, we want to thank you because it is through your word that we've found the freedom that we've been yearning for. And as we leave this church service, help us to continue walking in the peace that surpasses all understanding. Help us also to focus on you and your word and not on the things of the world that cause us to be depressed or even anxious. Help us to continue living and walking according to your word and not by what we see. And as we head into the new year, may you continue to bless the people of Grace Church and bless Grace Church as we continue to serve you with all that we have. May we proclaim your gospel throughout the land in 2021. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.